0: Hello, I'm Tristan Abbey, Editor-at-Large of the ALEA Review of Books. This is Episode 4 of the ALEA Review Podcast. On the third episode, we welcomed Robin Waterfield, the author of The Making of a King, Antigonus Gonatus of Macedon and the Greeks, published in 2021 by the University of Chicago Press. On this episode, we are joined by Bethany McLean, author of Saudi America, The Truth About Fracking and How It's Changing the World published in 2018 by Columbia Global Reports. She is also a contributing editor at Vanity Fair and the co-author of The Smartest Guys in the Room, a best-selling investigative account of the Enron Crisis, published in 2003 and turned into a popular documentary in 2005. Bethany, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: When Saudi America came out in 2018, it threw some shade on the rhetoric surrounding the geopolitics of oil, the power of oil. In the intervening years, we've seen the price collapse associated with the COVID-19 pandemic, a price war between the Saudis and Russians, and other events. Fast forward three years from the launch, how should we think about Saudi America today?
1: Well, I think the point of view expressed in the book, which was that fracking was unsustainable on a financial basis because it simply didn't produce free cash flow. Has actually become the conventional wisdom. It was contrarian at the time. There were only a few people in the investment community, and a few people actually in the environmental community who were pointing out that whatever the environmental problems with fracking, and I'm not I'm not saying they're less important than the financial problems, but that they are actually two separate issues. Oh, they're they're entwined in some ways, but that, that the industry simply wasn't making any money and was dependent on ever-increasing amounts of debt in order to finance it. And when that had started actually in the investment community to become a more commonplace view even before COVID-19 and the Saudi-Russia war. But those two events, which cratered the price of oil, made everybody say this industry is unsustainable as it is. And so this whole idea that fracking was just going to continue to grow and produce more and more and more oil and the US was going to be a great oil exporter from now until infinity and fracking was going to pick up all the demand that wasn't being fulfilled by conventional methods of drilling, I think is now pretty accepted wisdom.
0: What do you think explains this divergence between the popular perception of hugely profitable energy companies on the one hand? And then on the other, debt issues, which may lurk one or two layers below the headlines.
1: I think there are two things going on. Well, maybe three. I think the biggest one is that we're all disconnected from the production of energy. Well, not all of us, but those of us who live on the coasts or in urban areas, we don't think about where energy comes from anymore. We don't see it. It's part of our daily life but we tend to be a little self-righteous about it. And we we just simply don't think about it. So I think that's that's one big issue. It's just there. It's not something you, you don't think about. Where's the wood to heat my home going to come from tonight? <laughs> it's just, it's not part of your daily existence, which is a huge privilege. I think secondly, the idea that an industry could be exploding in size, but not be profitable and not be sustainable financially is just a weird one to grasp, even though we've all seen it happen before, right? We saw it happen in the first tech bubble back in late 1990s, where you had all these companies that weren't making money become these huge stars. We saw it in the global financial crisis where subprime mortgages, mortgages made to people who couldn't pay them back nonetheless became a driving factor of the economy for a period of time. But when something is financially unsustainable, it just seems weird to think of it as also being immensely powerful. And I think that's the dynamic, the way in which Wall Street will, will continue to fuel bubbles, I think is something that isn't well understood. And then I think thirdly, there's been so much money made in fracking by people. And so you think, wait, 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 wait. How can all these people be getting rich? And I'm reading about these billionaires buying ranches here and there and buying sports teams and this company that just sold for billions of dollars and it doesn't make money? No, no, no. That just that just doesn't make sense. So I think those are the those are three incongruities.
0: But how do we explain this apparent contradiction between buying the teams and buying the ranches on the one hand and then wrestling with these debt problems on the other what is mechanically happening here what's what's mechanically going on that allows this to happen
1: so what's mechanically going on is that wall street Big finance in general can make money for a long period of time from something that isn't economically sustainable. So, Wall Street firms make a ton of money selling debt in a very low interest rate environment. Anything that pays a little more yield is appealing for buyers. And so they'll buy the debt. Private equity firms could make a lot of money for a long time by essentially financing startups and and fracking, helping people assemble huge parcels of land, and then selling that company to another publicly traded company for stock which was overpriced because everybody believed this was going to make money eventually. And so as long as there's this belief that it's going to work eventually, a lot of people can profit along the way until all of a sudden everybody says, oh, wait, maybe this is never going to work.
0: It sounds like you're saying that the Fed rate matters for a few more reasons beyond just home mortgages.
1: Yes, that's a really smart observation. I think the incredibly low interest rates we've had, even in the run-up to the financial crisis, but particularly in the years since the financial crisis, have shaped our economy in all sorts of interesting ways. Their key ingredient in the explosion of fracking, everybody thinks it's chemicals, but it's not, it's capital. And capital was so widely available because interest rates were so low. So in many ways, you can think of the Federal Reserve as a key enabler of the growth of, of fracking, central banks around the world, really. And that's true of a lot of things that wouldn't have seen the amount of money thrown at them if it weren't for incredibly low interest rates.
0: Well, three years later, the book is still worth a read, whether you agree with every word in it or not. It challenges the conventional wisdom. And here at the Leo Review Podcast, we have a soft spot in our hearts for books that are willing to take a contrarian perspective on important issues of the day. Bethany, who do you read? Are there any favorite scholars or journalists or authors that have inspired you?
1: I read everything, or at least I try I don't read everything. There's so much today, but I, I read a lot. I try to look at the journal and the times every day to keep up with the news. I glance at the Financial Times. I read The New Yorker, The Atlantic. My friend Barry riddles does a newsletter every day. If you're not on it, you should join his distribution list. It's called Riddolds Reads, and it's a really good assembly of mostly long form but sometimes shorter form pieces so there isn't a particular author, although just recently I loved Patrick Radden Keefe's Empire of Pain, which is about the Sackler family and the growth of OxyContin and the start of the opioid crisis. So I wouldn't say I have a particular author who I gravitate toward, but I, but I read a lot. And I think it's, it's really important to read a lot of things that challenge you and that push your brain in different directions and to read good writers, because reading good writers is a way of becoming a better writer yourself.
0: Well, two final questions. First is, what's your favorite novel? And the second is, what are you working on now?
1: So I would say my favorite novel of late, I tend to have a little bit of recency bias, is probably All the Light You Cannot See, which I thought was just... A remarkable, incredibly well-told story that's centered in World War II and the in the years after that, and it's just beautifully written and also one of those books that you don't want to put down. But my favorite work of fiction over time remains Tolkien's *The Lord of the Rings*. I just, <laughs> I'm a, I'm, I'm a Tolkien nerd.
0: You are the second guest in as many weeks who said *Lord of the Rings* as their answer to that question. <laughs> that's funny. Um, what are you working on now? What's your next project?
1: So I am writing a book about the pandemic with my co-author from my second book, which was called All the Devils Are Here. And he actually edited Smartest Guys in the Room, a guy named Joe Nocera. And so we are writing a book about the pandemic that was less a blow by blow of the pandemic and really meant to look at how the pandemic exposed problems in our economy and our society that were brewing even before COVID-19 and so what we hope is that it will help explain the world as it is post-pandemic
0: well thanks very much for your time Bethany the book is Saudi America truth about fracking and how it's changing the world we hope you'll join us next time when your next book comes out
1: thank you so much for having me on and I'd love to do that have a great day
0: this interview was conducted on June 21st 2021 I'm Tristan Abbey With the ALEO review of books. Join us online at www.aleoreview.com. That's www.aleoreview.com.